Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's special State of the USC Football Program edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan's Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We start off first with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan's Huddle. So let's meet the guys. A WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Friday's Four Downs video show and Five Things video show which is posted on YouTube and WeRSE.com after each and every USC football game over and away. A graduate of USC, Eric McKenney, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSE columnist who writes the popular WeRSE.com column, Musings with Arledge, and the well-received Musings with Arledge solo video edition. He's a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSE columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, from the Press Box, IMHO Sunday, the WeRSE.com travel guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Huddle, that's me, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering a first-time subscribers one month of WeRSC premium content for just $1. That's right, $1. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, let's kick off the first quarter. Panel, the 2023 college football season is a wrap, and while USC head football coach Lincoln Riley has yet to address the media with a seasonal exit uh, press interview and conference addressing the state of the USC program, Inside the Trojan Huddle will give you our views and listeners our state of the USC program with our thoughts, impressions, and assessments where we see where the Trojans are both on and off the field. So as we like to say around these parts, we tell it like it is. A reminder that these are just our opinions, and viewers certainly may agree or disagree with our viewpoints. But let's start off with where we are with Trojans on the field after two years of the Lincoln-Riley regime. What are the positives? What are the negatives? Let's start off, as always, with Mark Culkin. Give us an on-the-field assessment of where we are after two years of the Lincoln-Riley regime. Well, let's see. We've got an eighth Heisman Award winner. And I think after two years, we found out that defense is going to be the number one priority going forward, uh, building USC's team to get to the next level. So I guess those would be the the positives. Um, look, it's hard to it's hard to 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 compare twenty twenty three to to twenty twenty two. You had a lot more positives in 2022 than you had in 2023 on the field as far as wins and losses are concerned. And I, I think that's what kind of set the table, raised the bar, so to speak, as far as what you're looking for positively. 
Um, offensively, I, again, I thought USC was better in 2022 offensively than they were this season. Defensively, conversely, um, I'm not sure what they did positive, positively in 2023, but at least last the, the year before, you can say they created turnovers. Uh, they they had some sort of impact in the game that they were playing. So it, it's, I'll say the positives outweigh the negatives, but to try and pinpoint specifics, I, I I'm still stuck in the malaise that I saw this year. So for me, it's it's kind of a wait and see mode. I, I don't know how to answer that question because the next question is kind of the same. So for me, overall. Um, the bar has been set. You can get to 11 wins. You can't go backwards. And we're going to see if if the culture has changed enough to go forward in the Big 12 and in, into the Big 10 in 2024. Eric McKinney, on the field after two years of the Lincoln Riley regime, what are the positives? What are the negatives in your viewpoint? So, there's going back to when he started and this kind of up and down, up and down to now. But if we're looking at it just right now, it doesn't feel a lot different than the last like 10 years after after a season. There's still it's still what's it going to be next year? I don't know. We're talking about, you know, we're, we want to do this. We want to play like this. We want to have we want to play good defense. We want to run the ball. We want to do all that. And it's. Okay, let's see. Let's see. I mean, there, there's nothing that's been shown at this point. And I'm talking about right now at the end of at how they were playing at the end of that season going into next season. There's just not a lot that you can point to on the field to say they're really good at this. They're really good at this. It, as good as they need to be to win the games that they want to win. You can go win some regular season games and, and, I don't think at any point you're thinking, oh, they're going to have a three win season or they're going to get, you know, run off the field by everybody. But as far as the the team goes and the product and all of that, you're still at a you're in an off season of hope. I, I hope that the defensive coordinator can do this. I hope that they can add enough offensively and get that line play up to where it needs to be. And it feels like another off season that we've that we've seen plenty of over the last few years. So that right. The Heisman is great. The 19 wins in two years coming off of what you had in that horrific 2021 season. I think if these two seasons were flipped, you had the eight win year, the first year and the 11 win year this year, it maybe feels a little bit different, but the deficiencies are, are the deficiencies. And again, we haven't, you know, I know we'll go into kind of, off the field and and going forward. But no, as far as just on the field play, what we've seen, we've seen all this before. Maybe the offense is a tick better, but not better enough to overcome what's been a terrible defense. And like Riley likes to talk about, you know, we finally have expectations here and we finally have all this. There were these expectations for years and years and years. And we've seen this football. We've seen good offense paired with bad defense and this kind of results, it's it's nothing new. So I think, and again, we'll spin it forward in terms of health of the program and and what can maybe go into 
uh, this off season to maybe get there. But it was it, this this year. You just cannot you cannot understate how much of a setback it was in terms of this year maybe being a launch pad into that 2024 schedule and the Big Ten and everything that needs to come with kind of following up what Caleb Williams did at USC for for the two years that that you had him here. Chris? So when USC hired Lincoln Riley, everybody said, all right, we're getting one of the premier, if not the premier offensive coaches in the country. I think we're going to move the ball and score a lot of points but he's going to have to do a much better job defensively than he did at Oklahoma, right? That's what we all, that's what everybody said. Um, and the offensive side of that is largely held up. The offensive line struggled this year, but let's keep the struggles in perspective. USC finished third in scoring offense in the country. USC finished third in yards per play in the country. So it's not like the offense was inept. The offense easily beat Utah, easily scored enough points to beat Washington, right? I mean, this is, um, the Lincoln Riley's offense has shown up and it's not just Caleb Williams because Lincoln Riley has scored a lot of points with, with a number of different quarterbacks. And, and when they brought in a guy who a lot of us didn't think was really qualified to be the starter next year, he went out and threw six touchdown passes. They moved the ball up and down the field. The offense is not the problem. The problem is obviously that not only did Lincoln Riley not step up his defensive game, but he took a dramatic step backwards. The Oklahoma defenses weren't as terrible as the defense of the last two years, right? They were they would they would finish in the fifties, and you think, well, that's not very good for OU, and it's not. But they weren't like hundred eighteenth. So Lincoln Riley has completely botched the most important thing he was supposed to do. The the area where he was supposed to improve. Not only has he not improved, but we had an utter and complete collapse the last two years. Um, this is not where they should be right now. We talked about this. I like his hires on the defensive side. I think these guys are good. For, I mean, not only do we have good football coaches, but we have we have guys with a lot of NFL experience, guys with a lot of college experience. We have three defensive coordinators that are coming over. Uh, these are guys who know football. I suspect that the defense will improve because a level of coaching will improve dramatically. It's just stupid. It's year three that that's happening. It's stupid. And Lincoln Riley really, really set back his program and his career by holding on to a coach who he already knew. He knew Alex Grinch when he came over. He brought him anyway. Gigantic mistake. He kept him a second year. Gigantic mistake. We all we all know that. But the reality is that that's the problem. Uh, there were other there were other issues. Um, there were other issues that the special teams were not good this year. When you have a dynamic returner uh, like Zachariah Branch, you shouldn't be starting at the 13-yard line every freaking time you take a kickoff, right? You really shouldn't. That's insane. But all year, they continue to have the same mistakes. I didn't see them doing mass substitutions on that kickoff team. They continue to roll out the same dudes doing the same thing and getting the same result. That's a problem. So um, are there positives? Yeah, uh, the, Lincoln Riley immediately raised the profile of USC football, right? In year one, he did that. Uh, Caleb Williams became a gigantic star. 
Uh, they won a Heisman Trophy. They they won some. They won enough games that they were in the the playoff picture, which had not been true for USC in a very very long time, if ever. Right? That's good. That's positive. But it's hard to feel good about the on the field results right now when Lincoln Riley hasn't shown that he's capable of solving the one problem that everybody in the world knew he needed to solve. So we're left with cautious optimism. That's all we have. Well, I I uh, I have mixed feelings about what has uh, taken place. Uh, I think that the first year was hope. The second year to me now for me is hesitation. I think that Lincoln Riley has a lot to prove. Uh, we'll talk about that in the second quarter. Uh, look, Mark mentioned the Heisman Trophy. True. That's definitely a positive. Uh, the hope part in the first year was true. Eric's was spot on saying if the if the seasons had been reversed that you had the first year representing the second year there'd be a lot more hope um i i think the thing that really kind of gets to me a little bit is that i feel that um and i don't want to lead into the second part of this first quarter but uh on the field there was a lot of like miscommunication there was a lot of Penalties that were I thought were just uh, absurd. If you want to be a championship team, and I think on the field, I think you know based on what we saw Monday night in the national championship game, you know the thing about Michigan, and and that of course the Trojans are going to play at Michigan next year, but it's going to be a little bit of a different team, I think, with Mich- Michigan if JJ McCarthy doesn't come back. But you know it's it's a team like Michigan, whether it's Michigan or whether it's it, it's Alabama or look at these teams are absolutely pretty good on offense and really good on defense. And it bothers me to see where we are after two years to see going into the third year, which is arguably, I don't even know it's arguably, it is the toughest schedule uh, of the three years of Lincoln Riley and how he's going to handle it. Uh, I think there's some good things we found out about at least in one uh, minor bowl game, so to speak, holiday bowl, that Miller Moss uh, presents some hope. Uh, but there's a lot of question marks uh, after the positives we've seen. Uh, I can only hope that the culture on the team, and that's going to lead us to the second question, uh, in, in, improves a great deal. So let's get to that second uh, transition to your evaluation of off the field after two seasons. Now that's going to include uh, things like culture, uh, recruiting, so to speak, uh, anything that's not exactly X's and O's per se. What are the positives off the field and what are the negatives, Mark? So I'm not sure how to address that recruiting part because it's not going as well as I think any of us anticipated. Um, the culture is, is, I think, it's still in transition. I, 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 I think there's no doubt about that. You're still trying to find the players, or I think you've located the players who want to be at USC, who aren't looking at the, I guess, uh, the ancillary things, the NIL part of the equation that's that's really bothering, I, I think, uh, Lincoln Riley's recruiting and, and getting USC the players and specifically players of need uh, right now. So 
How much did the seven and five or the eight and five season um, play a role in this? We've talked about it throughout the season. We touched on it in the first quarter. Lincoln Riley's choice to maintain Alex Grinch um, has left a sour taste, at least in the in the recruiting world, and it's affecting the way things are going. Um, and then you have the other part of NIL: is USC all in with it? Are they, you know? Are they doing the hokey pokey with it, putting their foot in, taking their foot out, putting it back in? You know, they need to make a decision because now when you're trying to use the transfer portal to make up for, you know, your, your losses at the high school level in recruiting, you're even having some sacrifices and some challenges there. Uh, we just saw it recently with the backup quarterback position. We're, I mean, think about it. The one part of Lincoln Riley's culture that should we shouldn't be talking about is the quarterback room. That's the thinnest position on the roster right now. That's just bizarro world. Doesn't make any sense. So is the culture changing? Yes. Are you, are, is he stuck in the middle between trying to get the best talent out there onto the roster? Yes, because that's what you, what you should always be doing. But at the same time, you look at what Michigan did. They built their roster with, you know, three-star, four-star players and guys who wanted to stick it out, stayed for four or five years. I don't know if that's the type of culture that Lincoln Riley can build at USC uh, just because of the type of players that are out there. I don't know. But that's kind of where USC is right now. They're, they're, in, they're, they're in neutral. You know, Eric talked about it when he spoke in the first quarter. We've been going through this now for the last handful of years. Do we have, does the USC fan base have the patience to try and follow that Jim Harbaugh model? You know, he, he was there for nine, he's been there for nine years. The last half of those, of these nine years have been pretty good. Lincoln Riley is now going into his third season. Eric? So I think that. Everyone, Lincoln Riley, when he got to USC, talked about, we want to win now. We want to win now. He brought players in. The, I don't want to say lucked into Caleb, right? Recruited him twice, got him to USC. The fact that he was a quarterback that was that good, so much better than all the other quarterbacks. Again, it sort of heightened and elevated the expectation of what he could do at USC immediately and i i don't fault him for saying we want to win right now we want to win big but that that program truly was in such disarray in terms of the roster build and who could contribute right away that you caught lightning in a, in a bottle a little bit with that first group of transfers that he brought in and i think you're going to see this with these programs that are reliant heavily on the transfer portal where Every once in a while, you're you're going to get that mix right, and they're all going to come together, and you're going to have a really good team. I think a significant maybe portion of the time, if that's what you're relying on, you're going to miss, and and it's just not going to come together, and and you're not going to gel. And so when you had to do that a couple of years, it seems like you had you had a hit and you had a miss. Where I think the the program feels a whole lot stronger right now is when you look at sort of the exodus of transfer portal players leaving, 
it's not those young offensive linemen. It's not the young defensive linemen. And that's the buildup that I think you need. And, and that's where I think the, the, a big chunk of the positives comes from now is that no, it's not the five star offensive lineman, five star defensive lineman. You'd love to sprinkle those in. But if you can re- recruit, and this is where you see Washington, Michigan, it's not, Michigan is not, is not a poor, right? Michigan is not a have not. Yeah. They haven't been, <clears throat> they haven't been one, two in recruiting, but they're nine, 10, they're eight sometimes, they're 12 sometimes. Like they're, they're there. They're getting guys. And so for USC, no, you don't want to be 25, but you don't have to be one, two if you can keep everybody and roll fourth year, fifth year guys through that offensive line. USC did not have that. USC missed on like four offensive line classes in a row after that really good 2017 class, which guess what? Won them a bunch of games. So <clears throat> that's where I think you're seeing kind of steps forward with that. And then the other thing is the is getting serious about hiring the defensive coaches, right? If the if this had been if these had been his hires when he gets here and and he brings in these defensive coaches, I don't think we're having this conversation this year. And and you've laid that groundwork again. I I understand the idea of let's bring in people that I'm really familiar with so that we can hit the ground running and there's not this big lag in teaching system and getting an understanding of what we're doing and and then moving forward. But if you had if you had broken those eggs earlier, then maybe we could fast forward some of this stuff uh where we are right now. So the NIL thing is a huge, is a huge, huge issue. And USC, again, in order to get these big time players, you have to figure out what you're doing there. USC was kind of, they've been interesting in, in that regard, right? It's always trying to sort of do it the right way and guessing what rules might be in place. And while you can understand that a little bit, the end results are these other programs who just put it together in a really strong way and went out full bore. Uh, I mean, Oregon has maybe the strongest, most effective in terms of promises plus follow through. And you're seeing kind of what they're doing recruiting and in the portal right now. And USC just doesn't, just doesn't have that, just doesn't have that together right now. And I think that's going to be a pretty significant thing again, in, in terms of adding that top line talent, but you can win games. You can win games recruiting good players and actually coaching them. And I think these defensive coaches coming in can coach football. And USC, you go back and look at USC's worst years and who's on that roster. There's guys on that roster. You can you can coach the players on this roster right now to win games. And so in that way, I think you're seeing it go forward. They're recruiting again. Numbers on the offensive line, defensive line, guys that can play, maybe not right now. And again, we're not talking about, can you win a national championship in 2024? No, no. The way the roster is right now, no. But you've built enough of that kind of baseline and infusing the talent you need to down the line do it. So I I think that this offseason, you're really starting to see some positives there. 
we're not talking about competing with the elite, elite, elite programs right now. And and if you're USC, that's a problem, right? You, you don't want to be in that situation where you're not talking about that. Well, real quick before Chris goes, Eric, if we're, if we're competing against the elite elite, which Michigan is considered one of those, let's use mm-hmm. Michigan's recruiting class ranking this year. You brought them mm-hmm. up the last What's it this year? Because USC is not that far behind them. And Michigan's coming off the winning cycle. So I'm trying to find out where is that correlation because it's, Michigan's definitely taken a different approach to their recruiting. I, I think there's an easy answer to that. Michigan had 17 seniors on that football team. But their recruiting isn't in the top 10. It's closer to No, I know. I know. But if but but Michigan's not going to do that every year. Michigan had two really good seasons where they had guys where they had a lot of older guys. They had five fifth year seniors on that offensive line this year. That means last year they had they had five guys who were in their fourth year in the program of the offensive line. Next year, you're going to see a different Michigan football team. The reason that Georgia and Alabama, and in the old days, Pete Carroll's USC. The reason they could reload just about every year is because they recruited an unbelievably high level. They didn't have to have they didn't have to have five fifth year seniors on the offensive line. They would plug in guys who were they would plug in a freshman, Tyrone Smith, who's going to be a you know a five time Pro Bowler. Um, when Lincoln Riley came to USC, he said that he thought he could build the best roster in the country at USC. He he cannot and he will not, not unless USC dramatically changes the way they're doing things. Uh, USC is not competing with Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State in recruiting. They're not competing with Oregon in recruiting. That doesn't mean that he can't win a lot of games. I, I agree with Eric that if you have, if you're recruiting four or five big body athletic offensive linemen every year and you have them in the system three or four years with a good coach, you're going to, you're going to be pretty solid in the offensive line every year. That, that was Wisconsin's uh, strategy for, for the last decade or two, right? They all, they recruited a lot of big offensive linemen and they played them when they were older and they were good up front. USC can do that. And if USC does that, they're going to score a lot of points every year because Lincoln Riley will be able to find a quarterback and will be able to find running backs and receivers. As we're complaining about USC's lack of recruiting fireworks, it is the case that they have Zachariah Branch and they have Deuce Robinson. I mean, it's, it's not like they don't find some guys who, who everybody in the country wanted. They do find some guys like that. Um, but he's not going to build the type of roster that he expected uh, unless they unless they change things pretty dramatically. You know, I, I don't know whether it's USC being scared of their own shadow and and worried about in, the NCAA. If so, that's that's insanity. The NCAA is not going to do anything to any of these programs that are doing pay per play, and everybody knows that it's absurd. I think it's probably more the case that USC just doesn't have the money to do it. USC raises gigantic sums of money from some very rich people. They funnel very little of that into NIL programs, right? They're just not committed to that. And if you're not committed to that, then you're not going to be able to, to compete with Oregon. Because, I look, I get what Lincoln Riley's trying to do when he says, well, we want the guys that really want to be at USC. But let's take any other industry in the world and talk about how we're going to pay dramatically less than our peers, but that's okay because, you know, we're going to get the guys who really want to be at Dairy Queen, right? I mean, it doesn't even make sense in any other context, and it doesn't make sense here. 
fans will gobble that stuff up because they have this emotional connection to USC. And they say, that's right. We want guys who want to be at USC. No, I want Bear Alexander. Bear Alexander got a lot of money in a nice apartment and he showed up and he dominates people. That's what I want. I don't want a guy that's half as good as Bear who loves USC as much as I do. That's no good. Put me on the defensive line. I love USC. I'll work my butt off and I'll get killed. It doesn't make any sense. That's what you say when you're not able to compete with other with other programs for top-end talent. And that's what he's saying. It doesn't make sense. He knows it doesn't make sense. The reality is that Oregon has a whole lot more money for NIL, and they spend lavishly, and they are kicking USC's butt on the recruiting trip. But Chris, and that's they, what's going to happen. They, they paid for a Malachi Nelson. He took off and left. They tried to pay for a Jaden Maiava. It wasn't enough. I mean, it's, it's kind of a damn no, no, You're going to get out. One, you're going to get outbid sometimes. And two, sometimes there are guys who are going to want to leave. We'll see what happens with Malachi Nelson. Maybe it turns out that he's really a great football player and just wanted to play early. But you know what? I'm willing to bet he doesn't turn out to be the superstar that everybody thought he was. I think that's why he left. I'm not disagreeing. I don't have any inside information. But what I'm saying is, if you're not going to compete with Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State in terms of top-end recruits, then you can still win a lot of football games, and you might even occasionally win a national title like Michigan did. But Michigan did it with 17 seniors. When's the last time you saw USC with 17 high-quality football players that stuck around for four or five years? It doesn't happen. And, and Jim, because we were talking about culture on this question, who's better than Jim Harbaugh at instilling discipline and toughness in a football program? Right? He did it at Stanford. He did it. He did it at University of San Diego. He, he's doing it at Michigan. And it took him a while at Michigan because he didn't have the high-end recruits that Ohio State did, and he was getting beat. But if USC wants to play that style, then they're going to have to instill in uh, toughness and discipline the way Jim Harbaugh does, which they have not done yet. The 2023 USC team was not nearly disciplined enough, and they were not nearly tough enough. They weren't, not even close. Those Michigan guys, those Michigan guys were scrappers and 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 they fought and they tackled well and they blocked and they were disciplined. They held the edge, right? They did. Michigan kept contained. It was fantastic to watch. USC didn't most of the time. So you can win with that Jim Harbaugh style of football if you're going to coach like Jim Harbaugh. And maybe with the new defensive coaches, maybe USC's on their way there but they certainly weren't there the last two years. They were horribly coached defensively. No discipline, no toughness, no fundamentals, no clue what they were doing, right? It was all around awful. So if that's the plan, if the plan is we don't have the money to compete with Oregon or, or, or Alabama or Georgia or Texas, and so we're not going to get a lot of the five-star guys, but we're going to recruit a lot of really good football players, and we're going to coach them up, and by the time they're in their third or fourth year, they're going to step in and they'll be just fine against those five stars. If that's what you're going to do, USC has to coach a whole heck of a lot better than they have the last two years. And I think, I mean, Mark, you're talking about Michigan. Like, I'm I'm with you. It's just the way USC is doing this, you can win. You cannot win now, now, right? So so it takes a little bit. And And what you said about Harbaugh, right? Harbaugh comes in. And he loses three, three, five, three, four, four games, right? That, those are his loss totals, his first seasons at Michigan. They lose, I think, six bowl games in a row. Get, it took a while to get here. 
And then 2021, they lose two games. They lost one game last year and then they win it all this year. And, and so, yeah, it can take a while to build it that way. And I think that extra COVID year absolutely helps. It's why Washington and Michigan, though they both built in that same kind of way and getting those extra years for guys was big. And that's the, that's the idea, right? Once you lose, once you lose those COVID year guys and you go back to kind of how it was, you're going to see more of that. Hey, we need quick infusion of talent. And that's where some of that big time recruiting comes in. And those guys can play faster and, and help you more quickly. And Michigan's not going to compete for a national championship next year. Alabama will and Georgia will and Ohio State will because they're going to plug in these superstar recruits. Michigan will not. Michigan's that, But that's my question is, Michigan is winning right now, like the Alabamas, like the Georgias, like Ohio State. They, they own Ohio State right now. Why isn't that translating to their recruiting? Regardless of how long the guys before them were staying, it should be translating to better recruiting classes by the star system. It's not. And I'm just curious why. That's all. That was my question. My guess is that Michigan isn't writing big enough checks. Okay. Right? But but it may but look, it's also the case that some guys are better recruiters than others. I mean, look, Pete Carroll was an unbelievable recruiter. Even putting aside that he was a fantastic defensive coach, that guy could sell snow to Eskimos, right? He was an unbelievable recruiter. It may be that Lincoln Riley and staff are not nearly as good of recruiters as the guys up at Oregon. Even putting aside the NIL dollars, which matter, they may not be they may not be as good of a salesman as those guys are, right? That's entirely possible. Absolutely. Do not disagree with that. No. Well, I'll throw in my couple of comments. I think that uh, part of the problem at USC is there's not enough understanding of what USC is, what it means, what it means in the area. Uh, culture-wise, you cannot build a culture when you're, excuse me, when you're relying on the transfer portal. They're not there long enough to feel it. It's kind of a, I don't know, I kind of take a trip around Disneyland and you, you know, okay, we stopped off at Tomorrowland. Okay, that was great. And that's what a lot of these players do. They kind of stop off. Uh, you they they can't work their their mindset into just win one for USC, fight on. If you get the high school players, you can develop them. You can discipline them. I don't know whether you can discipline a 21-year-old or 22-year-old to to buy into a system in just one year. You know, one of the things that uh, was mentioned over and over again, and I think you guys touched on it, is this idea of my my brothers, my team, my team. And we've all been together, and we all have you know gone through spring practice, and we've done it for a long time. I, I don't think you would you could say the same thing about USC. Now, you know Harbaugh screwed up in early on at Michigan because he tried to emulate a system that he thought was cool. You know, we'll just throw the ball, we'll wing it all over the place. He went against what he actually believed in when he was at Stanford, even when in the NFL, and he 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 did a real deep dive into who am I, and he turned out to say, you know what? We're going to go back to kicking ass on the offensive line. We're going to run the ball, you know, right right up, you know, Broadway, and you just stop it because I've got players that I can integrate the passing stuff. So he went back to his roots. But one of the things about his roots was, is you know, he he didn't have to be backed into a corner 
to change his defensive staff. He knows how important defense is. You know, he comes from a family of, of all coaches. His dad was a coach. So his culture was kind of deviated early on at Michigan, and now he's kind of come back to it. And, you know, it's a system. It's a system that he understands, and the players were old enough to figure it out, and they had the time to do it. And like I think you guys pointed out, you know, this is his ninth season. You know, Dabo Sweeney was kind of the same way. It took him a while to get the program started. But the the problem is, is the NIL with SC, that's that's an off the off the you know field problem because a lot of the money that SC could have gotten from NIL early on was from major mega boosters who I know some of them personally. The 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 University just cut them off. It's like, okay, we don't need you, or we're we're worried about the you know the NCAA and the sanctions, and the people that they could have relied on, uh, they've basically cut them off. And there's been no real attempt to bring them back into the fold. And many of these people are getting older now, and it doesn't mean they don't they don't want to fight the fight any longer. And so it's one of those things where I think the university has to take a step back. You know, I have a lot of confidence in 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 uh, Jen Cohen. I think she knows what's coming off. I think she's learning about what's going on at SC. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Chris Peterson is one of her mentors. He definitely knows what's going on. He said, I think I mentioned this the other week about on Fox, that SC needs to find a great leader uh, to to deal with the system as it is today. I, I took that as kind of a cut at Lincoln Riley. Uh, and... It, you know, it's more than just being a great quarterback coach. It's more than just, you know, calling plays. It's on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I think, you know, that's part of the uh, leads into leads into the culture as well, because the players pick up on that. So let's uh, yeah, let's hold, hold on just a second. Yeah, 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 sure, Chris, go ahead. Look, all of the top programs are taking transfers, right? Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, they're all taking transfers. The question isn't whether you're going to play the transfer game. You can be Dabo Sweeney and say, I don't want to play that game, and now you can be irrelevant because that's essentially what's happened to Dabo. They're all taking transfers. USC took a bunch of transfers, but I'm not sure what you expect Lincoln Riley to do when he shows up and he has a football program that that has the talent level of the average University of Arizona team. That's what he had. If you have that, you kind of have to hit the portal and bring in 15, 20 guys for the first couple of years. I don't think, and Lincoln Riley's been clear, that's not what he wants to do. It's not what he expects to do long-term. But he had to do that the first two years. What else are you going to do? You're going to run out the guys that, that Clay Helton left you? Those guys couldn't play. There wasn't nearly enough talent on that football team. Offensive line, actually, they weren't bad. But they were pretty bad in most other spots. You have to do that. Riley knows that he doesn't want to rely on the transfer portal all the time. The problem is he's getting his butt kicked in the high school recruiting ranks because he doesn't have the money to pass around or USC is not willing to pass it around. That's the reality. So I'm not, I don't think it makes sense to criticize Lincoln Riley for the way he's done recruiting. You can't get a bunch of guys out of the portal. They're not committed to USC. They don't understand USC. Sure. But there were a bunch of guys that were already here that one, weren't very talented, and two, also didn't seem to understand USC because they didn't show up to play hard most weeks. So I I don't know what else he's supposed to have done other than what he's done so far. Michigan's offensive line 
Transfers, all transfers. I mean, not all, but significant transfers. Left tackle, transfer center, transfer. They they brought in, they brought in a bunch of transfers to kind of remake that offensive line, and and those guys played. Interesting. You know, I I, I hear what you're saying, Chris, but you know, it all starts on on top. Uh, you're either going to do the short term fix or the long term. I think the long term is the way you go. I I don't doubt what you're saying about Lincoln Riley. He's he's vocalized it. He said, "I want to build from the high school." I'm just asking you, Greg. What your proposal was not to bring in Jordan Addison, not to bring in Caleb Williams. Oh, you're saying that I, with the guys I that he said had. That. I never okay. said that. But you got. I mean, you got to bring in the best guys you can when your when your roster is a disaster. What is your point? My point is your criticism doesn't make any sense. He had. Oh, that's not true. Your your criticism. Doesn't make any sense, and I'll tell you why. Number one, if you're going to build a program, you have to. You cannot do what happened this last year. I think you'd agree with that. You can't have a downer year in your second year, where culture becomes a question, recruiting comes becomes a question. I have my feeling is, I'm willing to be patient. Now, Mark brought up a good point where he says. I don't know whether the USC fans have the patience to to put up with the building of it. But here's the problem. Where everything is kind of transparent, when you know that SC is not by even you said this, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that USC's recruiting has not been at the level that you would like to see it at this point, you have to go back to it's not all the NIL. And a lot of it is the NIL, no question. But it's not all the NIL. It's how coaches uh, our recruiters, they're sellers. Can you sell it? I think this new defensive staff is going to come in hungry. I think they're going to go out and get players. But there's a lot of fences to be mended. And until they do that, which is a change of culture, you know, it's going to be the same old thing. Uh, but let's get to the uh, second quarter do here. I, do Dan. I get? To, do I get? Yeah. I mean, the second quarter is basically the same as the first. Do I get to respond to what you said? I wish be out. Because here's I the thing, right? Lincoln, right. Riley's made, Lincoln Riley's made significant mistakes, and I and I talked about that. Uh, his, the the defensive staff he kept in place for two years has thrown the program back five years. My point is a little bit different. That if you're going to if you're going to beat up on him for the recruiting, you can say that they don't sell as well, and maybe that's right. Although let's be honest, with the elite recruits, you're going to have to pony up some money because if other people are offering many hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're not. I don't care how good a salesman you are. You're not landing those guys. And the reason USC played a bunch of portal guys the last two years is because Lincoln Riley had no choice. He could not roll with the roster he had. That roster was so badly depleted from the biggest hat coach USC has ever had that you can't do anything else. And so I think, I think when you talk about how you don't, you can't, you can't just throw in a bunch of portal guys. I think Lincoln Riley agrees with you. I just don't know what he was supposed to do the first two years. They didn't have talent on that roster. That was going to be a six-win a six-win team if he didn't jump into the portal and bring in the guys he did in that first year. That's the reality. So that wasn't the mistake. The mistake wasn't jumping into the portal. The mistake was keeping a defensive staff that had no idea what they were doing and not instilling toughness, not instilling discipline. If he doesn't do those things, he's screwed anyway. But he had to jump into the portal and if he doesn't do a better job recruiting the high school ranks, he's going to have to do that in year three, four, and five. And that's a problem. 
But I don't think he, I don't think he said he's not trying to recruit high school kids. I do think that when Oregon jumps in and lands a guy who's a blue chip, and then that blue chip guy starts talking about how, well, you know, I'm going to get developed in Oregon. No, you're not. They put hundreds of thousands of dollars in your bank account. Don't lie to us. It's silly. That's what's happening. Oregon's out recruiting USC because Oregon's paying money that USC doesn't have or isn't willing to pay. That's the truth. Okay. Let's move on. I, mean, I think if you look at the line recruiting, right? Look at the offensive line, defensive line recruiting. He's following that up. He he wasn't he didn't recruit the 2019 class, the 2020 class. Michigan, again, if we're talking about Michigan, left tackle, a transfer from Arizona State, center, a transfer from Stanford. The other guys that played, they're 2019, they're 2019 signees for Michigan. USC's offensive line recruiting in 2019, Gino Quinones and Jason Rodriguez. Th- those guys aren't going to be your two starters for a national championship team this year. 2020 class, again, not Lincoln Riley's. You've got Jonah Monheim as, as the only contributor from that class. If you go back to 2018, you're at Justin Needed. You're at like two offensive lineman in a three-year stretch and if you look at where they have really sunk in recruiting the last two years that 23 class the 24 class this this is that sort of building block that you have to have in your program no it doesn't help you now and that's why you have to go out and reshape via the transfer world but but I do think he's doing a fair job and trying to do both things at the same time, which is which is almost an impossibility to rebuild right now to win via the transfer portal and also rebuild to win in three, four years via high school recruiting. That's a really difficult thing. And I think you're seeing some steps made again to bring in the important positions. What we saw is you cannot rebuild an entire unit in one offseason with transfers. That is, that is incredibly difficult but now that you have that base of young guys, again, specifically offensive line, defensive line, you're seeing all over the place. You sprinkle in a guy or two here and there. That's what you have to do to fill holes. So, so I think it's a, a difference. Like if, if we're still having this conversation in 2025 and 2026 based on you missed on every single guy in the 23 and 24 classes, then that's something else. But right now, the way to build this program, again, if you're not going to buy all of those big name recruits, is to sign these linemen that we've seen them sign and develop them over four or five years so that if you're winning the national championship in 2026, you look back and go, yeah, that 23 class was the one that got us there. We developed them, they stuck around, and those are our senior starters now. And again, we can't talk about that yet because there hasn't been enough time to get there to this point. All right, let's move on here. Uh, I think we've covered some of the ground of the second quarter, but uh, just for the sake of going through protocol here, uh, no doubt panel in we're in the second quarter here, uh, Lincoln Riley will continue to be paid handsomely heading into season three of his 10 year contract. Okay. That's just how you pay high price coaches, but We'll take this systematically. One, panel, what do you see as Lincoln Riley's biggest achievements after two seasons? Chris? I think we already talked about it. I, I think winning 11 games and winning a Heisman in year one, um, that's that's pretty good. 
nothing that happened this past year is an achievement to be proud of, right? It wasn't. It was a disastrous year that that really has done damage to Riley and the program. Um, but we've talked about those other two things, so I don't think I have anything else to add. Mark? Yeah. <clears throat> there, there, there really isn't anything that we've been – we took the first, the first quarter into, into overtime, so to speak. So uh, you look back at 2022 fondly. You were hoping that 2023 would have you would have been would have been able to build off of that, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens in this upcoming season. We know that we have, we hope that we have a quarterback that's ready just to step into the spotlight. He showed he was able to do that. Now we just need to find a a backup or two so we can have spring camp. Eric. Same kind of stuff. I, I still think that what he has put into the program in terms of that young line talent is something that we haven't seen in, in a while. I think that's big. The Heisman's obviously big. And then figuring out how to get how to how to put some effort in on that defensive side. I again if if this if those decisions defensively had been made when he got here, I don't know if we're here right now. So yeah, get, getting to that point. And it's still, we'll see if he talks about, you know, everything we do is going to be slanted towards defense. Sounds great. Sounds great. We'll see. Uh, I say that his biggest achievement was that he made USC football relative again, which was not an easy task to do, uh, which transitions to me to the second question is what do you see as Lincoln Riley's biggest disappointment or disappointments after two seasons, Chris? Uh, Lincoln Riley thought he rebuilt the defensive front seven last year, and he thought that was going to make the difference in his program. And it turns out that either those guys weren't as good as they thought they were, or USC's coaches couldn't figure out how to use them because most of those big bodies were sitting on the bench all year long while USC couldn't stop anybody. I think that's, I think that's probably the biggest disappointment. Um, he thought, he misdiagnosed the problem and then went out and got guys he thought would fix the problem we misdiagnosed and that didn't work. Um, and I suppose the second major disappointment is that I think he thought he would be able to recruit with Georgia and Alabama and he's not able to do that. Not right now. Mark. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's obvious the defensive side of the ball is his biggest disappointment. So uh, until we've see USC turn that corner, that's going to be, um, where all eyes are focused on with Lincoln Riley. We 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 talked about at the beginning of the show. Offensively, even this year, it looked they looked like they took a step back because they weren't as efficient as they were the previous year. They still had a good offense, but it just it didn't carry over from the eleven win team, and that's what we all wanted to see. So it is what it is. Time just to turn the page and look forward to twenty twenty four. Eric. Yeah, taking him at face value, it's what what he says. It's the distance between what he thought the defense could be and what it was. Just just absolutely a misread on where he thought they could be. It wasn't like, hey, this defense will get us to number 60, right? He, I mean, it's elite. We want to play elite defense. We have the guys. We have all that stuff. And and that that distance uh is is extremely disappointing. Just just to have such a a bad read on what might happen to what did happen. Terrible. Okay, I will uh, say this. Um, my disappointment is uh, in leadership. Uh, when you are the head coach of a corporation 
storage corporation, whether it's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, et cetera, et cetera, you have to be overly, you have to be well-rounded. You have to know defense. You can't fake it. You can't, you have to make, you have to show that you make good hires. You, you know, you have to be a little bit cold-blooded. I I do uh, understand about not firing Alex Grinch because he was one of your best buddies and came over on the airplane on the midnight ride. And I get that. And I, and I, I admire him that he's loyal to him. But at this point, when you're making the amount of money he's making and the expectations and everything else, you've got to make really tough decisions for the good of your program, not for the good of your relationship. Uh, certainly after one year, that's a very difficult thing to do to cut the cord on a person who obviously was also uh, at a, at a non-football thing, a family friend, a friend of his children, the whole thing. That's very difficult to deal with. But I think that, you know, Lincoln Riley shouldn't come out of the air and say, now defense is the number one priority at our school, which I think was kind of like, well, when did you finally figure that one out? Well, I think if he was watching the games last night, he probably figured it out. And he probably is growing as a coach. I think, you know, he's only 40 years old. You know, he, he was handed it. He's a man. He's 40. Yeah, but, you know, you can be 40 years old in numbers, but that doesn't mean you're 40 years old and being a good leader. You know, I mean, some people can do it. Some people have to grow into it. I think he's growing into it. That's just my opinion. Uh, I don't think that he really got the understanding of what it is to coach in Los Angeles and the media attention. He tried to, in my opinion, strictly my opinion, uh, his dealings with the media, although he is cordial and he is nice, uh, he does not want to bend to understand the necessities of what people out here want to see. It's counterproductive to community relations. You don't see him uh, going to any Trojan-type clubs or any of that sort of stuff. And it all comes together. You know, I have no problem if he's learning. I have no problem if he's learning it. And he says, okay, you know what? I need to do a better job of getting out and meeting people and greeting people and doing the type of things that promotes my program because you need these people when things get rough. You need the support of the football community. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. USC took away those those opportunities. There are no correct. I almost brought that up for NIL. I mean, how many putting those things putting those things back together doesn't that wouldn't that help drive drive some NIL donations? Right. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is correct, Greg. But USC chopped off their own. Foot, so to Let speak. me ask you a question, Mark, because I think you'll know the answer to it, and I'm certainly not going to try to force what I think. But let's take the Monday morning luncheons right on campus. Is that is that a coach's decision not to have them? You know, here's what I'll say. To, I think it was the Monday morning quarterback, right? Here's all I'm going to answer that question right now. Before the basketball games, you know, you anticipate Coach Andy Enfield talking to the boosters. Well, recently, he's been sending out his assistant coaches. They're not his top assistant coaches, but guys that closer to the end of the bench to answer the tough question. So, yes, I think Lincoln Riley should go to, to Jen and say, we need to bring this back. I need to stimulate some, some energy with those boosters. So, yeah, they should. I think Lincoln Riley should have a say in 
we need to bring that back. I don't know if it's his decision. Honestly, I don't know. I think Eric might know that that answer better than I do. I don't know anything about the inner workings, but if Lincoln Riley said, I want to have a Monday luncheon and get the boosters together, there's nobody on that campus who's going to say no. I totally agree. So they should bring it back. Well, like public relations right now. And the you, San Diego Trojan Club and the San Gabriel Valley Trojan Club. You need to bring those things back. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that's a discussion we're going to have in the future. I it's I, I've been waiting to actually get around to that, and I think the offseason will provide us the time to do that. Let me uh, conclude this with panel. Have the overall Lincoln Riley returns been as good as the original investment? What what do you think? Is is he earning it? Uh, is is it as good as it should be, could be, can be? Chris, what do you think? I mean, not yet. You don't pay a coach $12 million a year or whatever it is to to go eight and five um, and take a top five team to, to unranked by the end of the year. That being said, um, Lincoln Riley inherited a program that had a lot of problems. He caused some of his own problems, but um, – but let's see whether he's learned something from this. You know, Pete Carroll talked about that year he spent out of coaching where he really had to think about what he was about and he had to change his philosophy and he had to, to reinvent himself as a coach. Uh, Lincoln Riley's not going to have a year off from football, but Lincoln Riley, I think, is in a position where he realizes he has to reinvent himself as a coach. Let's see if he can do it. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's ambitious. He may just pull it off. Uh, and, and if so, the three defensive uh, hires that he made within the last month are going to be the start of that. Okay. Uh, next contestant. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark, you've already uh, – did, did you give your opinion yet uh, about this? Is, is, is he, are we getting our money's worth? Look, I had no say in the matter. I, they didn't come to me and ask me how much I wanted to pay part of the <laughs> salary. So whatever the bark market bears, it, look, I, I don't think any of his bonuses kicked in this year, any any of those bonus clauses. 2024 is going to say whether or not he's worth what USC is paying. I, like Chris said, he inherited a dumpster fire. He's got you. He's put the fire out. It doesn't smell as bad back there behind the building anymore. Now it's a matter of, you know, are you? Is it going to be presentable? Eric, you know, like what Chris said, not all of it yet. You, you know, when you pay that money, you pay for a national championship. He hasn't won a national championship, and but it's it's tough to fault him for not winning a national championship in two years after taking that over. I, I think we'll get a sense. And, and again, what we've seen this off season and the changes there and all of that stuff, I, I think that we're moving towards that. And he gives you still a big name, right? USC, even after this season, they'll, they'll be in the discussion. What happened with them? How can they go forward? All of that kind of stuff. And, and so to still be, sort of in the picture is part of why you pay for a coach like that when the feeling is that they're at the bare minimum, you're going to be entertaining on offense when you throw that out there. And I think you still feel okay enough that he's going to be able to, to figure something out as you go into the, into the big 10. I'll tell you what, if USC was paying $3 million a year for a no name coach right now, it, it would, it would feel worse. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let's, look, that, that money that they're paying Lincoln is coming from that future money they're getting from the Big Ten Conference anyway. So they kind of forecasted this is what he's worth based on how much each school will be making. All right, I'll uh, I'll conclude this uh, heavy duty first half here. Um, I think the jury is still out on Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think he needs more time uh, to do what he needs to do and to continue to learn about not only coaching on the field in some aspects, but how to run the program at least in this part of the country. Uh, and I think that you know, unfortunately for him. He's going to have a, a schedule next season in 2024 that's really, really ridiculously hard, uh, and especially when the you know when you expand the playoffs, more expectations. I'm not saying he'll get they'll get in the playoffs, but there's going to be like okay, if we don't win the league, we could at least get in the playoffs, couldn't we? I think it's I think it's too early, but I don't think he's immune to going from golden boy when he first got here to being you know maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe his best coaching job will be next season. I, I personally, I hope it is, uh, but we'll see, but I don't think we uh, have enough, uh, evidence yet to, to, to go one way or the other. So with that, we're going to lighten up here with halftime panel. Last week, I asked you who were the, your 2023 offense and defensive MVPs for this week's halftime. Give me your MVP as far as the top newcomers from this past season. They can be freshmen. Uh, maybe if you want to pick a transfer, that's fine on offense and, and one on defense. So, Eric, who's your selections? I mean, uh, offensively, Marshawn Lloyd was was the top newcomer. I mean, Zachariah Branch, obviously, for freshmen, all, although the wide receiver aspect was seemed diminished kind of as, as the year went along compared to special teams. Uh, defensively, again, you know, we talked about Bear Alexander last year, technically still a, a newcomer as a, as the transfer, um, addition. Defensively, as a freshman, Braylon Shelby seems to have like the most where you, where you saw flashes and, and that sort of thing moving forward. I'm excited about, uh, Christian Pierce moving forward. I, I think he could be, um, kind, kind of a big time guy there, but, it did, it didn't kind of jump out as a a ton of freshmen. Obviously, Tackett Curtis got you know the, the majority of the run in terms of true freshmen there. Uh, announced his his commitment to Wisconsin, so he'll be back at the Coliseum uh, this fall when Wisconsin comes in. Huh. Um. Okay, Chris. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of the same names. I, I Zachariah Branch is my my newcomer on offense. I don't think for the second half of the year, I don't think we saw a healthy Zachariah Branch. I think he got dinged up before that Notre Dame game, and uh, I think he scores on that uh, on that play against Notre Dame if he's healthy. And I don't think he was the same guy. He also walked into a pretty crowded receiver room with a slot receiver that had been around a few years and was really good in Taj Washington. But I think we're going to see a huge leap from Zachariah Branch next season, and I think he's going to be unbelievably explosive. So uh, on defense, um, I agree with Braylon Shelby, who I think is pretty excited. I'm going to throw in another name, Elijah Hughes, who, you know, he jumped off film last year, and you thought, this guy's a low three-star. And then he shows up, he earns playing time. That kid was not a low three-star. That guy is a football player, and I think – given a chance to mature a little bit physically, to get a little bigger, 
Um, he may not be the full answer to USC's defensive line uh, woes, but I think he's going to be a football player, and and I'm pretty excited about him. Mark? Yeah, I think on offense it's pretty easy to, to say that if you're looking just at the newcomers, uh, Marshawn Lloyd and, and Zachariah Branch had the biggest impact on that side of the ball. Uh, I, I think what we saw, though, at the end of the year, and I know it's just because it was the last game and it's fresh in our minds, but Jacoby Lane might be the guy <laughs> that receiver class. Zachariah Branch does a little bit of everything really, really well. Jacoby Lane is a true wide receiver. And I think the confidence that he plays with, the confidence that he actually, in front of the camera, just talking to, to, to people, you, you kind of sense that he's ready to take that next step. So he, he's one guy I want to throw that name out there. On defense, we talked, you know, they mentioned it, Barry Alexander, Braylon Shelby. Um, I don't know. I guess, do you want to call Jameel Muhammad a newcomer who had an impact? Because I think that's perfectly good. Absolutely. The, the edge position wasn't great, but I, I know the beginning of the year, some of us um, weren't as high on him as others were. But he... Hey, don't, don't drag that back up, Mark. <laughs> Muhammad and I have made our peace. No, no, Chris, look. Yeah, you, you threw all, me into it with him, too. We all had questions about what was going to happen with that edge position. We all thought Anthony Lucas was going to be the dude based on what, you know, the coaches and the players were saying. It, it wasn't him. It was the guy who came from Georgia State. So um, there was – we saw some flashes of newcomers that can help out on defense. We're now going to hope that Braylon Shelby and, and Christian Pierce and all the guys and Sam Green, who had a fantastic spring game, can uh, can do what Elijah Hughes did when he was put into to an actual game. So some stuff, some guys to look at. Yeah, I think that um, you know sometimes it's not how much playing time somebody got, but what they did when they were in there. Uh, I'm going to throw one out. I. I totally agree with with Arledge on uh, uh, Elijah Hughes. In fact, when I looked at Elijah Hughes, I saw a younger version of, of uh, Mason Graham of Michigan. I think that both of them were three stars, I believe, uh, coming out of high school. They both have a huge motor. Uh, when you look at the Mason Graham, uh, which is, is from my area, basically, of Orange County, uh and I remember watching him and how he's gained weight. And he's, he's I think they listed him now at, at six, six, two, uh, I think it's 317. So God help the new USC center if uh, Mason uh, Graham is lined up over him. That'll be an education, I'm sure. Uh, offensively, I did, I agree with uh, Mark on uh, Jacoby Lane. I think that Jacoby Lane really opened some eyes just in the manner that he caught balls from behind him, he's just got like suction cups for, for, for uh, catching a ball. Uh, you know, he's a bright guy. He was excited that he said, I think he said he had a 3.2 grade point average to finish the semester. So, uh, and I, and I agree with Chris actually uh, that maybe branch was really hurt and it really depended on him. And again, one of the things to remember, especially offensively is, you know, the idea of, who am I going to throw the ball to? I don't know how Caleb Williams ended up in the latter half of the season about who he decided to go for and look for and so on and so on and so forth. But I think the names that were brought up were all worthy people of, of an MVP award. So 
Friends, we again strongly encourage those of you watching inside the Trojan Huddle on sites like YouTube to click the like and red subscriber buttons. Greatly valued, appreciated. It. It's free. You can also listen to Inside Trojan Huddle on many available podcast sites. Be sure to check out wrsc.com. Become a premium subscriber. All right, second half kickoff. We're going to go quickly on this lightning round predictions. We'll go Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. Question one, yes or no? Some way, somehow, the Rose Bowl should be the permanent site of the college football playoffs national championship game. Mark, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Cut down on that travel expense. Eric? I don't know about permanent, but definitely on occasion, every other year, every fourth year, whatever it is, but but put it there sometimes, yeah. Chris? I think it should be, but I think politically it's impossible to make that happen. Uh, I agree with Chris. Uh, it should be the one. Uh, you know, college football, the tradition of college football, what bigger tradition is there than the Rose Bowl? Everybody loves it. They like it. You know, it becomes, it, lo- it loses its, 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 Perception uh, for college football by not having one of the bigger games there. Question two. Yes or no, looking at the 2024 schedule, the Trojans are better served playing at Washington as scheduled than having to play Oregon in the Coliseum, which is not on the schedule. Mark? Okay, sure. Eric? Yeah, yeah. Playing Washington next year? Sure. Chris? Yeah, DeBoer's a good coach, and I'm sure he'll do something to make Washington competitive. But that team's going to take a step back. I don't think Oregon's taking a step back next year. Agree. Uh, question three, yes or no, wide receiver Dorian Singer made the right choice in entering the transfer portal. Mark? Yes. Eric? I think it depends on where he where he winds up. Chris? If he wants to be the number one option on a team, then he needs to leave USC because he was not going to be next year. I think he would be fourth at best. Yes, I agree. He made the right choice. Uh, Question four, yes or no, Lincoln Riley will be able to get two quality quarterbacks from the transfer portal either before or after after spring ball. Yes or no, Mark? First of all, define quality and (laughs) he's going to have to get at least one before spring camp. And he definitely needs to have one after spring camp. There's just there's no way to split that hair. Eric? Yeah, that was my line. What do you mean by quality? I a guy capable of two guys capable of starting if they need to in 2024? No, but you you need bodies there. Chris? No on two. He'll get one. Somebody's going to lose a quarterback battle who's young and they're going to be upset and they're going to see an opportunity at USC. But you're not going to get two. I don't think he's going to get two either. Uh, question number five, yes or no, the NCAA will change the transfer portal calendar after the end of this spring's academic calendar. Mark? Uh, they need to. Eric? I mean, why not? They've changed it every other year that, that it's been in existence. That, that seems to be the only constant. Chris? Yeah, changes need to be made. It, now, if the NCAA actually does something right, it'll be the first time in decades that they have. Uh, I think they will change. Uh, as long as they're trying to better the system, I'm I'm okay with the with the constant changes. Question six, yes or no, when USC visits Michigan in Ann Arbor next September, the Wolverines head coach will still be Jim Harbaugh. Mark? Ooh, no. Eric? No. 
Chris? No way. This is the time to get out. I agree. He's accomplished what he wants. He's a Michigan man with a national championship. Question seven, yes or no? With the Trojans playing football in the Big Ten in 2024, are you now watching the Big Ten Network more than you have in the past if you watch it at all? Mark? No. There, there was no reason There was no reason to yet. Eric? Yeah. Tuned in on signing day. Lincoln Riley was on there. Got to actually see a USC thing on a uh, conference-designated network. It was exciting. Before that, how many times did you turn that channel on? Well... We watch Northwestern in, in my, my house. <laughs> you want to tell the audience why Northwestern is important to you? Uh, important to me? No. no. Or to my wife, family. a little bit. <laughs> okay, Chris? Uh, absolutely not. I've never watched a full game on the Big Ten Network, and I probably won't until 2024. All right, I I have been watching the Big Ten Network since the uh, announcement of SC going, and it's increased uh, for signing as as was with Eric. I watched their coverage of the uh, national championship week uh, to see what kind of programming. I've been actually watching some of the replays of their games, uh, how they their production and the guys that they use on the uh, play by play. It's really it, it's it's vastly superior. Let me tell you than the Pac Ten Network, no question about it. And that's not a slight. With some of the talent on the Pac-12 network, I think there are some really good people on the Pac-12 network. Uh, question eight, yes or no, are you surprised that former Trojans quarterback Malachi Nelson committed to Boise State, Mark? I'm not surprised, no. Clear path to a starting job. Eric? Yeah, at, at various points. I mean, as soon as he went in, if you said it's Boise State, then maybe a little surprised. But as soon as that visit gets scheduled and you start seeing, you know, oh, here's all the reasons that he could, then you knew it was done and and the commitment was a was a formality. But I, you know, you saw, right? JT Daniels picked like the big name school and how it worked out for him, and and I think this is going to be the path. For a lot of young quarterbacks, let let me let me play now. Let me get on the field knowing that I can go somewhere else later if I do well enough. Chris? I'm surprised about everything with Malachi Nelson and the transfer. But if you're going to do it, uh, he made a good choice uh, for the reasons Eric pointed out. You go to another blue blood, you're probably sitting there too. Uh, I am not surprised he committed to Boise State. Uh, I think I read where his father had mentioned that We've been we've experienced quote the big time program. He needs to play. I thought it was a good move, a good family move. Uh, you know, Boise State is really a, a solid program, to very good at times. So I think he, you know, it, it wasn't surprising. He needs to be able to play and get that job. Uh question nine, yes or no, as of today, when the Trojans open the 2024 season against LSU in Las Vegas, USC will be the underdog. Yes or no? Mark? Yeah. Eric? Oh, yeah. Chris? I think so. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, Question 10, the bonus question. Speaking of Las Vegas, because that's where SC is going to open up their season against LSU, what is your favorite Las Vegas hotel to stay at, and would you consider yourself a heavy gambler, moderate gambler, or near non-existent gambler, Mark? So I'm... uh... I'm not married to any particular hotel in Vegas. My family, we used to stay at the the old Sahara 
before oh. the transition. So we were we were kind of part of that whole Rat Pack thing because that was kind of their their hangout. So um, I really don't have a, a, a hotel that I I care about deeply, and if I have a if my wallet is thick enough, I'll I'll stay at a table. <laughs> I don't have a wallet like that. So right now I'm a I'm more at the uh, non-existent gambler level. Okay, Eric. Stayed at the Aria once, which I like, and it, that blends into the second answer, which I'm I'm not the, the only gambling I do is showing up here every week with Chris on this panel to, to try <laughs> try to make it through uh, make it through with without having to edit significantly what what he may launch into. Just imagine what you're missing. The stuff he cuts out is the best stuff. <laughs> by the way, we are we are going to probably have the best of Chris's editing <laughs> that's been on the floor, and we'll make it into a special program. It's just, I mean, three years ago, four years ago, it would have just been whole shows. Just yeah, that's true. <laughs> clipped. Chris, what about you, Vegas? I don't know that I have a favorite Vegas hotel, although if if somebody wants me to give their hotel a mention on a weekly basis uh, in exchange for free rooms, I'm open to that. Uh, I'm a moderate gambler. I like to play blackjack, but I don't like to lose very much money. So if I go to Vegas, maybe I'll take out a couple hundred bucks. And if I'm going to lose all that, then I walk away and never come back. Bring back the seven card stud poker table and I'll I'll sit there for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how to play that. I uh, when I think of Vegas, I think of all the trips we used to take uh, when I lived in Monterey Park in an unconditioned car, air conditioned car in the fifties. And I remember we'd stay at the Stardust Hotel, which doesn't exist any longer. So as I as, as I matriculated and got older, it was uh, various hotels. I liked Caesar's Palace. I still actually like Caesar's Palace to some extent. Uh, but I think I've settled in on the win. I just like the win. I like the rooms. Gambling, I could sit at a blackjack table, but they priced me out of it. So I don't even know if I would consider myself, even at the height of it, a moderate gambler. I'm non-existent now. I just as soon, you know, get some nickels and just have some fun playing, uh, you know, uh, pulling the uh, slot machines and, and call it a day. So my my whole thing of Las Vegas has changed. You know, I... Go see a show is always fun for me. All right. Uh, we head into the fourth quarter here, and we all know what that means here on Inside the Trojan Huddle. That means we light the symbolic torch for the, uh, as we do at the Coliseum for USC home games, as those of you tuning in for the first time at USC football games, the band plays the William Tell Overture between the third and fourth quarter. You Big Ten fans will see it. So while this burns a little bit, a reminder to all of you recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's recruiting video show, Recruiting Roundup with nationally respected Scott Schrader, best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier. So quickly, we're into the fourth quarter. Viewer questions, panel answers. Here we go. Uh, question one from SC in DE. I think that might be Delaware. Okay, he says, I'm a little slow. I know the show has been taped and is available on YouTube, why can I not find a place to view it here? I think when he says here, he's talking about our own website. Uh, Eric, you want to comment on that? Yeah, Eric. I don't I don't know. It is on the website. It's on the website. <laughs> there's, a, there's a front page story, and it's on the video player. Maybe SC and DE is right. Maybe it was just that he was a little slow. 
<laughs> a badge of honor getting ripped by Chris Arledge. Does it get any better than that? Uh, no, there's a, generally a story and the video player, you may not be familiar with it, but above the story, the, that's where we put in the uh, inside the Trojan huddle. If you're saying, where is it? Question two from SC Fan in Florida panel. Always enjoy the show with your personal insights, thoughts, comments. Couple of questions. Any inside information on who, if anyone, the Trojans are pushing extra hard for at this time in the transfer portal? Maybe a defensive lineman or two or three. Uh, let's take that particular question. I think they're having uh, challenges with the portal, at least getting a quarterback transfer. Would you all agree with that? Well, they just hosted a couple of defensive linemen over the weekend as well. With Isaiah Rakes and how, how is it Javier Derrick? What's his name, Eric? So yep. they're they're focused on those guys, obviously. Uh, if you've been hanging out on WRSC, we've been having discussions about a quarterback uh, that they have their eyes set on. So, yeah, they there's some holes they got to fill. And like I said during the show, the fact that the quarterback room is as vacant as it is. To me, that's just that's a little odd. And again, why hasn't Caleb Williams made his announcement official yet? I know he's not coming back, but what's the delay? Why just why sink into the bushes like you're, you know, Homer Simpson? I don't get it. Maybe he doesn't want to go to the Chicago Bears now that he knows that the pecking order now. But don't say anything that'll make them go away. Maybe you'll say, I just not do it at John Elway. I'm just not going to sign with you. If you draft me, I'll just go back to USC. Uh, that's a good, but I think the question is certainly valid. You know, why are you waiting to the last possible day to, to make an announcement? Unless he's not going to make an announcement, he's just going to say, okay, you'll read it off the press. I'm on that list. Question. I mean, it's just, it's just paperwork he has to file. It's not, it's not as if. There needs to be a public statement about anything. I'm not. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't. I'm just saying he doesn't. He doesn't have to. A nice little social media. Thank you, USC, for everything you've done for me. Yada yada yada. He uh, he he acknowledged the video that the USC football oh, program he, put out. He liked it. Is that what you said? I mean, they've only done it for guys who are leaving. They did it for Caleb. I'm just being a sarcastic, sarcastic cuss right now. Oh, not not Mark Culkin. Sarcastic, really. Uh, has uh, second part of the question here has Coach Riley been out on the quarterback recruiting trail? And if so, do you know who he has visited? Well, he visited Will Howard, he got a visit from Jade Mayava. Those are going to be quarterbacks at Ohio State and Georgia next year. Uh, outside of that, yeah. trying to try, <laughs> trying to shake another, another quarterback name. I think one that he might go after is when he recruited when he was at Oklahoma, the name starting to float to the surface, Chandler Morris. That's another name that's out there. Right now, the, the pool of available quarterbacks, if you want to get one out of the transfer portal, it's a kiddie pool. It's not very deep. I mean, all the names have already kind of committed elsewhere. And who's left in the in the high school ranks that he even considered? All right, question three from Crown of the Valley, Sacktown via Pasadena. Season's over. Our bowl games are over. Two questions. I think we probably already know the answer to it. Will we ever know what happened with Sierra Wright? Is he coming back to the team? I would suspect not. That's my opinion. 
I do think we'll at some point know, though. I don't think it'll remain a mystery forever. I, I tried looking him up right now just so I could answer the question more effectively, and I don't know, but I do know this. He's a tenor, and he claims to be able to speak fluent Latin. So if you are a casting agent and you're doing some sort of ancient Roman film and you need uh, you need a fluent Latin actor, he may be your guy. Usually when your head coach says he's no longer part of the program, that's, that's not a good sign. That language is really harsh language. Yeah, I certainly would not expect him back at this point. And I think part of the second question you guys have already answered, uh, is he coming back to the team? Is he still taking classes? Did he land a big role in a movie or TV series that took time off from school and the team? Inquiring minds want to know. I think we've given you everything that uh, what we know. Question four from Dave and TJ. Orderly. Have you guys had a chance to really dig deep into D Lynn's defensive yet? I know he came from the Ravens coaching tree, the same as Minter from Michigan. Do you think we will run the many of the same fronts and schemes? Where do you expect the Trojans to end the year ranked as a defense next season? Comments? Higher than where they ranked this season. I mean, that's it. I I think anyone who's trying to say they should be where UCLA was this year based on Lynn's one year there, one year here, you're not looking at what that schedule was, what he inherited, what USC's schedule is, and, and what he inherited. But, I mean, if you have to put a number on stats, right, top 50-something around there, but but it's less stats. It's more just competency, right, that they know what they're doing, that they're playing – fast and loose with an understanding of where they're supposed to be. And after every play, you don't have three guys huddled clearly trying to figure out what was anybody supposed to be doing uh, on that play. I think that that's, that's the key for me. That that's the, that's the step forward that I would like to see from the defense and not getting uh, the line of scrimmage set five yards downfield on, on any inside running play. That would be helpful. Uh, question five from HUD SD, which two of our receivers do you think will get the most receptions this season? Do you think Eric Gentry will be a starter at the beginning of the season? I do I think, think Gentry will I think be that's a, a tough question because I think that there's so many good receivers, you know, Deuce Robinson, I mean, Jacoby Lane, I mean, Branch, I mean, it's just like, it's uh, we, and assuming that uh, Makai Lemon comes back, I mean, any of those four right there could be the leading receivers. Yeah, picking two feels like you're just purposely excluding somebody that couldn't be there. And it feels a lot like this season where we talked about that going into the season quite a bit, right? You, if you want to give me one of the top five names, I would have been pretty comfortable thinking that they could have could have led the team. I think right branch branch is going to be up there in terms of touches. I don't know how many are are pure receptions or if you find a way to give him the ball in other ways, but I think he's going to catch the ball a lot. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm not, I'm not betting against Jacoby Lane taking a, a pretty significant step forward this off season. And again, that feels like I'm saying Deuce Robinson is going to catch four passes next year. Like, no, no, he'll, he'll do fine too. Uh, but but Branch and Lane maybe as as the top two guys. Yes. You know, I, oh, sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Go 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 for it. Man. I was gonna I was gonna shift to the Gentry topic. I, 
I think Gentry could be used the way USC used uh, used their nickelback most of the year. He's an athletic guy. He's good in pass coverage. I, I think you can play three. I think you can play more of a traditional three linebacker defense and have Eric Gentry as the guy that would ordinarily get replaced by um, uh, get replaced by the nickel. Gentry's not going to be able to cover a slot receiver man to man with no deep help, but nobody else was able to do that either. And Gentry will set the edge, and he will be a problem in pass coverage because he's consistently been a problem for people in pass coverage. So I'd sort of like to see them use him that way. That, was that overhang defender, right, for for a spot for him that gets you a little bit bigger than a typical nickel against some of the offenses. Put him on that spice wheel route type of coverage rather than a Braylon Shelby. I think Eric and I feel pretty good with Gentry recover, uh, covering most tight ends. Uh, uh, also, I mean, he with, with his side and his, his athleticism, with that reach he has. Anytime you're playing his own defense, and Gentry's sort of in the middle of the field, waving those gigantic arms around, it's a problem. I think Garrett Gentry is really the one of the more intriguing stories of spring with a new defense to see where they think he should be inside or outside and. You know, it's that's the fascinating part about when you get a whole new defensive coaching staff with a new DC. Who's going to change spots and how effective will they be in the new spots? It'll be interesting. All right, question six from the Trojan fan in the Valley. Here's a little bit of a different. Uh, I threw this in there because because it was asked, so I said, why not? Panel, let's switch it up this week. What are your thoughts on this year's Trojans basketball team, and what are your thoughts on Enfield? Well, they've underachieved. They're, they've underachieved. There's no, there's no other way to say it. You, you don't bring back that roster um, when you bring back Boogie Ellis and Kobe Johnson. And you add the number one high school recruit in the country, two point guard. You can't be um, one and five in the month of December. And I understand that you know Coach Enfield wanted to use the, the scheduling as part of the rationale for it. But when two of your losses out of conference were at home. Long Beach State and UC Irvine, that excuse loses a little bit of its uh, sentiment. So there's no way, there's no way to spin it. They have underachieved. Um, this would have been the year to really take this program to the next level. You've already said, hey, we just need to get that point guard. Well, you got the point guard, but up until these last few games, he's been a turnover machine. And when you've got UCLA down the street struggling as poorly as they are on the basketball side of the ledger. USC needs to take advantage of that. And you're just wondering, has Coach Enfield reached his plateau? The guy recruits with the best of the best in the country, but he can't seem to get the team to play as a team when they need to. It just feels like it's yo-yoing, right? You, you get good guard play and, and poor front court play. You get good front court play, you get poor guard play, and you, you just can't. You can't put it together. But if we're talking about Trojan basketball team at this point, I assume we're talking about the women's team, which has been (laughs) outstanding (laughs) and and has a huge one coming up against UCLA. The the way they front loaded that schedule for them, where you've got two UCLA games within (laughs) your your first handful of Pac-12 games. That's a big one uh, for, for that program. And honestly, the way Lindsey Gottlieb has recruited and the fact that you can hang on to these players for a few years, this this is a this is a potential national championship winning program within the next next year, the year after something around there. They they have it they have it working right now. 
my comment on Andy Enfield is very simple. I mean, basketball is really one of the main wheelhouses. I coached varsity on, in high school on some really successful teams. Um, he's been there. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, because you'll you'll know better than I do. Isn't this his 11th season at yeah. UFC? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How many conference championships has he won in 11 years? Okay, that's obviously a rhetorical question. The it's answer. a rhetorical question, and the reason I say it is, I know that basketball is the stepchild of football at USC, but if a football coach, I don't think if Lincoln Riley has gone 11 years and never wins a, a Big Ten championship, uh, they're going to stand for it. I think Enfield has had kind of the, uh, should we say, the out of having gone to tournaments, which is great, no doubt about it. But there's still something to be said about accomplishing a, a conference championship. You can't live off of just getting into the tournament. Well, uh, where, where he's stuck, at least where I see it, is he's recruiting all the real great talent, maybe too much one and done. And unless you have that formula, like a like a John Calipari, you know, who does it on an annual basis with, you know, five freshmen rolling them in, rolling them out, you got to have a discipline on that roster. And I just don't think they play disciplined basketball. That's his biggest shortcoming, I think, as a head coach, is figuring out, all right, I've got the talent. How do I play disciplined ball with this talent? Whether that's his assistant coaches or with him, I don't know, but it needs to get fixed. Yeah, well, that's all part of being a head coach, right? Being a leader. Uh, Question seven from USC Dude. Should the athletic department's war cry be outpay him so that you can outplay him? Asking for my Uncle Jake in Macau. I don't know where that is. Macau? A Ted Toner fan. It's across the bay from Hong Kong, and I doubt if Uncle Jake is really there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for that geographical lesson. Uh, So what do you think? I'm a Ted Toner fan, though. I mean, Yeah, yeah, a lot of those running around. That may be why he's there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I knew Ted Toner. Uh, He was a really nice man. He was really a good quarterbacks coach. He was not a exceptional head coach as it turned out to be. So uh, do you outpay him so you can outplay him? Is that what we should do? So uh, we, we've talked about this, right? So much it, it's going to be, it's going to be both. You, if you pay guys to go there, it does not matter if, you can't coach them into good players. Like you, you have to, you have to develop the players that are there. USC just has not done that for years and years and years. And that has to be what they do. Again, you're at USC, even without NIL, you're going to have players on your roster that are good enough at football where you can coach them to win games, not national championships. Probably not conference championships at Big Ten. But your baseline is if you coach well, you can have a pretty good team. Yes, they need more money for NIL to get some of these players. And USC has got to figure out how to get kind of claws into that and bring that in and get everybody get everybody who can make a difference on board. And it's... It's not there yet. It's not there with some of these big time programs that can turn to one or two people and fund an entire NIL offseason to bring in a bunch of players. 
But it's 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 funding the high school NIL part, and then it's the roster retention part of NIL. It, it, I mean, it's a multi-layered thing. It's the NFL only wishes they could take the college model. I know the players' union does. All right, question eight from Josh Chamberlain passing. He has a number of questions. Just pick out the one that you want to answer. Speaking of the athletic department, aside from trying to lure players and coaches with huge sums of money, example, uh, outpay them, how does the athletic department strategically plan to address the local recruiting problem, player development, past injustices such as the NCAA ruling against Reggie and USC and reestablishing the culture of USC football or identifying with USC football brought shivers down the spines of SEC teams. Eric's writing a story. He's going to be publishing this later today. <laughs> yeah, all of those, all of those things. <laughs> I mean, the the local recruiting problem is when you you just haven't you haven't done enough of it. You haven't sent enough guys to the NFL over the past few years, and, and it's not a place where local coaches have seen players that they send to USC flourish and do well. And until that happens, you're going to be up against it. That's, that's just how that goes. Player development, again, coaching, putting them in the right positions, having them make plays. I think, I think this off season, you're taking steps towards that. The Reggie Bush thing feels like it's out of USC's hands at this point. If, if Reggie wants all of that stuff reinstated, before USC goes forward with any kind of ceremony, USC can't just force that on him. And and it's clearly up to the Heisman Trust and the NCAA and all of that to get that moving uh, on that side. And then reestablishing the culture, we talked about it, build, build those lines, build the offensive line, defensive line. I think that they've started to take steps there. Can you keep going? Can you hold on? To those guys, Mark mentioned roster retention. That is such a huge point. And you're seeing NIL pushes Michigan at, at last year did one, those who stay, right? And it was it was a NIL war chest to keep players there and from going going other places. There's so much that that NIL has to do. You have to be able to lure recruits. You have to be able to go get transfers. And you have to be able to keep guys on your roster who didn't play last year who might see options somewhere else, but you need them to fill in as a starter in two games and give you good special teams reps and just make your roster better. And it's hard. It's hard to keep those guys when they see somewhere else, Hey, you can get paid and go start somewhere else. It's tough. Coaches are in a tough spot right now with these rosters. Or sit on the bench and get paid to what you're talking about. (laughs) Why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? Uh, quite a couple more and we're done here and we'll get overtime and call it a day. Uh, from SC fan in Florida panel, how would you rate the odds of Reggie getting his Heisman back 50-50? Additionally, what can USC do to get it back? How hard should USC fight? Who should they fight with to get it back? I think you we answered some of it. Anybody want to add to to that? It's going to happen at some point. It's also the NCAA is also going to disappear at some point, at least for the major football powers. So it will happen. Whether it's going to happen in a year or ten years, I don't know. They just need to start speaking up. I mean, it seems like you know when you talk the loudest, people listen. Keep keep talking. Force somebody's hand. 
I still think, again, the most frustrating thing about it is that all, I mean, Matt Leinart is very vocal about it. If every Heisman Trophy winner in the past said, no, you have to do this because they all, they all know that they all took money the exact same way that Reggie Bush did. If they all came out and said, you have to give this back to him. I just, I, I can't see the Heisman Trophy trust saying, no, 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 you're all wrong. We're not going to do that. I, I think I think that would be maybe a, a pretty significant domino to fall. Johnny Football did, wasn't that enough? <laughs> Again, I, I think a concern, right? They all, I think they all know that he should get it back. If you had a a big kind of effort together and a, and a push for it, I think that helps. Reggie's going to have to do that though if he wants that to happen. And there's no if Reggie mm-hmm. cares about it, there's no reason he can't go to those guys. They'll take his phone call. He knows a lot of them already. He could make it happen probably if he if he was uh, one committed to it and also committed to putting in the work to actually work that room. All right, and finally, question ten from Troy SC ninety one. Sorry for the long question comment, but I'm curious regarding NIL payments to players. I assume this is taxable income to the players. Do NIL collectives withhold amounts for taxes? If not, there's going to be a lot of players in trouble with the IRS state taxing agencies as most of these recipients are young adults and don't understand this tax obligation. For those players that don't ultimately make it to the professional level, this could be very burdensome for them down the road. We will see it. We will see in three to five years if this becomes an issue. Comments? This was one of the very... This, it was one of the very first things brought up with it, right? This is going to get a lot of guys in trouble. And when... Going back to Boulevard at USC, that was one of the big things that they installed was tax professionals to be able to sit down with these guys and say, this is what you have to do. And there's guidance with that, with the good ones, right? The, the ones that know what they're doing, they absolutely give help to those players. And you're going to see, you're going to see as many players get into trouble with tax stuff as you do the general public getting in trouble. <laughs> With tax stuff, the ones that understand it are going to take care of it. The ones that either don't care or don't think about it are are going to get in trouble. But there's a lot of guidance out there. And you you have to be kind of willfully ignorant to not understand what you're doing with these payments. Most of these players have have agents, NIL agents and reps and all of that doing this stuff. It's been enough years now where if you're working with a guy who is shady enough to where you don't understand this or where the money's going or any of that, then I, I don't, I don't know how much help there would have been out there for you anyway. Okay. A reminder, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the WRSC members message board, click on the thread that pertains to inside the Trojans huddle viewer or listener questions. All right. Overtime. This is a quick one. Now panel, your final thoughts on Monday night's college football playoff national championship game. One by Michigan, 34-13 over uh, the Washington Huskies. Uh, final thoughts on that, Chris? The team that wins the line of scrimmage usually wins the game. That's the way football is. Mark? Yeah, Michigan, uh, they played a better all-around game. And it was just unfortunate that Michael Penix chose the last game of the year to, to maybe have his least accurate game. Like I said, I when USC fans hear fourth and nine, they immediately think of Matt Weiner hitting Dwayne Jarrett for the first down. Good point. I mean, the Huskies are going to hear fourth and seven. They're going to say Michael Penix missed a wide open Roma Dunze. 
who, by the way, said he ran the wrong pattern. I heard that this morning. You could see him kind of when he got open, sort of lost what he was doing and just said, give me the ball right now. Yeah. He was shocked at how wide open he was. Eric, any comment? Chris is right. I mean, it's it's the lines of scrimmage. I think what Michigan specifically was able to do with just its front four, that that front four in terms of both stopping the run and getting after the quarterback, there weren't a ton of sacks, but you could tell, especially as the game went on, Washington's offensive line got so preoccupied with how do we stop just that front four that whenever Michigan sent an extra guy, it, it was absolutely wide open. And, and yeah, the blitz did a lot. And if you look at Penix's numbers, I think both interceptions were on a blitz and, and he didn't do well against that. But that was all created by what that front four for Michigan could do, especially those two interior guys. Uh, my final thoughts were is I compared – Michigan or any national championship team to where USC is today. It's a benchmark. They've got to get better on defense. We talked about that. Uh, And it was just a reminder that you really have to be good on both sides of the ball. If you want to contend for a national championship and uh, you know, hail to the victors. We'll see you in Ann Arbor next uh, in 2024. Once again, if you enjoyed inside the Trojans huddle, please click on the like. Red subscriber buttons, we greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wersc.com, become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans. That'll remind her to watch uh, all the other stuff that's on wersc.com. I think you'll enjoy it. Give it a try. So until next Tuesday, a big thank you to our panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge, all all all-stars in my opinion. And special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to the Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have yourself a great week weekend. So until next Tuesday, on behalf of our Inside the Trojans panel huddle uh, group, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, saying fight on, everybody.